Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 222. I am not joined today by my co-host, Prez, who who's, has family visiting him and has to show them around, and he's uh, being a good family member. But I am not. I am here, ready, locked and loaded, to talk about the Knicks. I'm joined by two guests I'm joined by Jeffrey Rasmussen. That's at Frank Barrett 119 on Twitter. He does all of the wonderful game threads uh, for the Strickland and uh, has just dropped an article today, uh, actually, about the rookie seasons of Quentin Grimes, Jericho Sims, and Miles McBride. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be back on here. Talk some Knicks and some Cavs with y'all. Yes, we will be talking some calves because we are joined also by a guest who has been on many times before. His name is Jordan Cohen. You can follow him at follow him at sports under underscore by underscore stats on Twitter. Jordan, how are you doing? Hey guys, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk some Nixon Cavs. We will do that. Uh, we will not talk about Chelsea. Not this week, anyway. Maybe after that. Maybe after this weekend, we'll talk about Chelsea. I don't know, but we're not going to talk about them now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but look, uh, before we get started, I do make an announcement that the Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers: a six-dollar tier that gets you access to this podcast, Pod Strickland, that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to. The Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, that comes out every other week. Also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation briefly trickled to a halt, but is picking back up with steam the last few days. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Chad Cully and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business, and also other guest pieces like Jeff's piece today that ran on the Patreon. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, a $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, there are a lot of places I get. Weirdly, there are actually a lot of places we could start. Um, but I think it makes sense to start with none other than our good friend, Mark Berman, who came out of his 10-week hiatus. Happy to have him back on the Knicks beat. Because I'll tell you this. Whether we'll talk about where Mark Berman's sources come from, we will talk about his questionable opinions. But I'll tell you this. Nobody else on this fucking beat is worth a goddamn uh, in comparison to Mark Berman. They don't get shit. They don't write shit. They don't work anywhere near as hard as this guy works. 
uh, because he came back after 10 weeks off the beat, and we basically got more information from him in like the last week than we got from the rest of the beat combined over the last fucking two months. So kudos to Mark Berman for hustling for the last 30 years. The man is like literally an institution, has been working on the beat for as long as I've been following this team. Uh, and a not and and for the rest of the beat, step your game up. Um, because predicting that the Knicks would be hit with a tampering investigation is not incredible. Uh, in t- they, they, I'm sorry. I, I could have told you that. Anybody could have told you that. People were talking about that as soon as the trade happened to clear cap space to sign Jalen Brunson. Please shut the fuck up. Um, okay. We are going to move on. We're going to talk about Mark Berman, who... I want to talk about the PC drop today, which by, uh, because of my resourcefulness, it was a paywall piece, but because of my resourcefulness, I was able to get behind this paywall. And I got to tell you, this piece is embarrassing on so many levels, but it once again drives home and makes it abundantly clear that Mark Berman, anything Mark Berman says for as long as Tom Thibodeau is the head coach, is coming directly from. Tom Thibodeau's penguin-looking motherfucking ass. That's where it's coming from. It's not coming from anywhere else. It is coming from him. Today's piece I thought was particularly egregious. Um, I'm just going to read this in full because the entire thing was a complete joke to me, but this part really pissed me off. But I'm going to read it in full. Why did Julius Randle revert last season from second-team All-NBA to a non-winning player with good, somewhat empty statistics There's a list of theories. Randall may have received mixed messages from Tom Thibodeau's coaching staff with a finger pointed toward former assistant coach Kenny Payne. Key word there is formal because Kenny Payne is no longer with the Knicks. He is left to go coach, take a head coaching position at Louisville. Um, And literally everybody only speaks very, very positive about Kenny Payne until this piece. Continuing, according to a source, I wonder who the source could be. Whoa, who could the source be? According to a source, Payne pumped up Randall's confidence in a way that was counter to Thibodeau's messages. While Thibodeau attempted to get Randall to become more of a selfless player, there's a feeling Payne fed Randall's ego, telling him he was still, and this is in quotes, the man, while R.J. Barrett was emerging. Um, I... This entire thing is ridiculous. Like, it's absurd. Um, I don't remember when when she was good last year. Right now, when Julius Randle was dominating the NBA, running a rough shot over teams, I don't remember anybody saying, "Oh, Kenny Payne's doing all the work here." No, I don't remember that. I remember, and deservedly in my opinion, Tom Thibodeau getting a lot of credit. I think he did deserve it. Look, Julius Randle had never played at that level before. If magically he comes up to that level, I do think the head coach deserves credit for it to a degree. The lion's share of credit has to go to Julius, as the lion's share of blame last year for Julius's performance also goes to Julius. All right, So this is not an argument of, oh, Tom Thibodeau is the reason that Julius played like shit last year. Just like the argument should not be Kenny Payne pumping Julius Randle up is the reason that he played like a selfish asshole. No, you want to know why he played like a selfish asshole? Because the head coach never did anything to rein him in. He never did anything. If Kenny Payne is undermining what you're trying to achieve, guess what? Maybe you should have a conversation with Kenny Payne. That's your fucking job as a coach. 
You keep your assistants in line. You keep your fucking team in line. If you don't do either of those things, and then you want to just take... I mean, this is basically just running the bus over Kenny Payne when he's long gone. For no, like, I'm sorry, that's just shitty. Um, and look, I, I, I will talk about it more, but like, I can't help but feel like the last week's worth of articles you've gotten from Berman, who's definitely not getting this stuff directly from Tom Dodo, because you know what? You can't prove it, right? Guys, you can't prove it. So how I feel like you're grasping. No, I'm sorry. I'm not a fucking idiot man, baby with no brain. I have a brain. I will use it to read between the lines and examine context clues and all of the context clues from Mark Berman's article scream. My source is Tom Thibodeau. Um, like it's, it's, it's just screaming to me of a coach who knows and I think feels that this Donovan Mitchell trade is going to happen at some point, probably soon, and understands the ramifications of such a trade being made, which will come with heightened expectations. And we can talk about why I don't think there should be heightened expectations if they keep Julius Randle uh, and Donovan Mitchell is, is arrives. Uh, but we'll talk about that separately. I think he knows that's going to come with heightened expectations. And I think he is laying cover right now through this all so that if shit hits the fan and things go sideways to start the year and they get off to a terrible start and he gets fired, all of this will already be out there. And then the New York media, the wonderful New York Knicks media and all of the wonderful unbiased NBA media coverage that exists out there, they get to play their favorite game of Coach X, who was fired by the Knicks, was just a scapegoat, and the organization has no direction, and the roster sucks, and the players suck, and nothing is good except for this coach who has now been scapegoated. That's what I think is happening. Um, and I think it sucks because I think I think he's just... Look, these play, I think players read what the fuck is out there. I don't think they're stupid. If you're a player and you're seeing the shit that has come out from Berman's nonsense the last week or so, and throughout all of last season, for being honest, I think at some point, especially these younger guys who keep catching strays in all of these articles, oh, you know, got to trade quickly and Obi and all the fucking picks and RJ should go for Donovan Mitchell. All the... I'm telling you, man, I don't know. I think you're playing a dangerous game. I think the vibes could not, they, they could be very not good. Um, at some point. Um, so, look, I just think more importantly, I, I view this as Tom Thibodeau laying cover for himself, and that is concerning to me, regardless of whether the Knicks acquire Donovan Mitchell or trade Julius Randle or whatever they do, um, because I imagine that there is some pressure on him, and I wonder how things are behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very obvious that Tibbs is speaking through Berman and that Berman is Tibbs's mouthpiece. I feel like it's been that way for a long time. Um, what's you don't think they just uh, giggle at each other like schoolgirls during yeah. during <laughs> yeah, every the, post game press conferences? It's just it's so it's so completely obvious. Um, but moreover, I, it's also just a misunderstanding of what made Julius Randle great when he was second team All NBA. Um, and it's also, in my opinion, um, a mis and they're misanalyzing like Randall's arc in this past season. So we'll start with uh, his All NBA season. He was do really. You think he had? Do you think he had a better arc than Chris? Than 
I'm sorry. What do you, what do you, who's Chris? Maltasanti? Oh, no. How, how can anybody have No, come on. <laughs> um, but, okay, so we start with the head cheese. You threw me off there. Um, we start with the All-NBA season. He was... The difference between his last season and his All-NBA season came comes down to two things. Effort and ungodlike shooting. Everyone knew the shooting wasn't going to be replicated. Like at least to varying degrees. Like, people believe that, you know, he might have improved as a shooter. But when you look at the numbers that he shot in 2020, 2020, 2021, it was just never going to happen. So there was always going to be some form of regression. But when you couple that with, I mean, he worked his ass off the entire season, too. And that, you know, I'm sure some of that was a contract year. And some of that was the team was just his team. It was clearly his team. RJ was just a second-year player. Um, and, I mean, they were projected to win the least games in the NBA. And Tibbs was just like, look, I'll build a defense, and Randall, this is your team. And as someone who played on multiple horrible high school basketball teams and had the team run through him, there's a certain validation to that. There's, like, it's it's it sucks to suck, but it's also, like, kind of fun to be the guy, even if, like, you know, the ceiling isn't there. And Randall just had that freedom that comes with that. Um, And then the next year came and we got rid of Alfred Payton, who, you know, anyone who's listened to me rant about it knows I think is easily like the worst player in the NBA. And they replaced him with somebody who should have, you know, worked better and helped Randall and alleviated the burden he was taking on. And I believe that to start the season, it, it isn't the things that Berman slash Tibbs was saying in the sense of, you know, Tibbs wanted him to be selfless and Randall's like, nah, fuck that, I'm the man. I actually think if you watch the early games, it's the polar opposite. Randall actually was trying too hard to acquiesce to his new teammates and to get them to fit in. And he was just like, you know what? It's more important that they, you know, get theirs. I'm going to, you know, run a bunch of handoffs with Fournier, which was a thing early on. And I'm going to let Kemba run the offense more. And I'll find my way. And the problem was he just didn't find his way. And then eventually, you know, the fans turned on him, and that's when the selfishness came in. So what I found weird more than anything about the Berman article was just it just didn't read accurate to me at all. And to your point, it just felt like Tibbs just, you know, trying to remove or trying to apply blame to anything but himself and just hope something stuck. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Jordan, um, because you obviously are you're a Cavs fan, so you uh, lived through the LeBron years where I think it's safe to say that during the LeBron years, basically every Cav at, at, at some point or another that cycled through there was involved in trade rumors. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Literally every, every single one. I mean, literally every yeah. single one. And so, like... I look. I think to some extent, this is a business where, like, if you're good, especially if you're good, a lot of times you will be involved in trade rumors, right? That's the nature of the business. We just saw it with the Celtics and Jalen Brown, right? They get to the finals, great run. All of a sudden, he's in the Kevin Durant trade rumor. Now, like that is it is a business. You have to be able to cope with that and, and deal with it and just accept that as like. You know, that's out of your control. That's hard. It's hard, obviously, but that's part of the job. Um, I think it's especially harder for younger players 
Um, and what I, I'm like very concerned about this as training camp is getting closer and closer and closer. Do I think the Knicks are going to trade all these young guys for Donovan Mitchell? No, I don't. I think they'll probably keep most of them, to be honest. What I'm concerned about, though, is all of these guys now, OB especially, I would say, but OB, Grimes, RJ even this past week, quickly, they've all had their names floated around, tossed around, kicked around. Hell, even Mitch had his name kicked around in trade rumors for Donovan Mitchell. Is that part of the business? And and Randall has has had his name leaked out there too a little bit, right? So let's not just say it's just the young guys. We can even throw in the very the sensitive one. Um, all these guys have had their names out there in trade rumors all summer, literally all summer. I don't know. I, and then you've got this Tibbs element where he's just like speaking through Berman and like, oh, I don't even care about RJ. I'd rather have Grimes. And then it's like, OB, I love OB. I, we need to find more minutes for him in the next day. And then it's all the next day, all of a sudden, it's, oh, Julius Randall revival tour. OB can kick rocks. And it's like getting all these weird mixed messages, right? So you don't feel great about that. I just really am worried that, like, whether they trade for Mitchell or not, if especially if they don't trade for Mitchell, if this thing persists into training camp, I really think, like, you're running the risk of things going bad like really really bad i think the vibes could be really really bad like if if they if it's day one of training camp you cannot agree to a deal for donovan mitchell i think it behooves you to come out or i mean they're not going to come out because they haven't come out and said anything publicly but it then it behooves you through your various uh machinations of media leaks to make it very clear like we are done with trade talks we we're open to discussing the trade until we were open to discussing the trade until the training camp started. But now we are done. This is our team. We are content with it. This is this we are moving forward with this roster. Obviously that's not true. At some point in the future, you would talk about Donovan Mitchell as you would talk about any player, right? You're gonna talk about trades at some point moving forward. But I think it's very I think it's very important they do that. Because if they don't do that and they're negotiating this fucking thing through training camp and things keep leaking out, keep leaking out I'm sorry, like, if, like, we talked about this a lot last year, um, but, like, guys like Quickly and Obi last year, the last two years in some ways, especially in Obi's case, have been good soldiers. They have not, they have not at least publicly bitched or complained about their roles or that they haven't received opportunities, expanded minutes or roles. I think Grimes, obviously, was a different case last year where he, Probably would have played more if he just didn't get hurt. Or he definitely would have played more if he didn't get hurt. Um, but, like, he's been floated out there basically since Summer League, right? It was almost like... It was like when Summer League ended, we were almost all like, okay, well, I guess that was the last time we're going to see Grimes in any kind of mixed uniform. Um, and then you have RJ, who's walking into a contract year, like, probably, because I don't think the Knicks... If he wants a max, the Knicks aren't going to give him a max right now. So I think he's going to go into a contract year, Like... There's a lot of shit going on. And then you've got the Julius Randle thing, which, like, I don't care what anybody tells me. Like, he was god-awful last year. And more importantly, he was super selfish. Like, he, he was so consumed by his own ego. He was fragile. He was insecure. And that manifested in all of the absolute worst ways that insecurity manifests in people, especially in a professional athlete. 
on the court anyway. I don't know how he was in the locker room. I have a very hard time imagining he was pleasant to be around. Um, but like, this is what was going on. Like, you've got all of this shit going on. It's, and then you've got Tibbs, who's like his own. You know, that's its own thing. Like, and then you get like you got worldwide. We know Tibbs was on the hot seat last year. You know, we already know this. He was on the hot seat. It's obvious there were. I think it's also obvious that that Wes and Brock Aller wanted him gone. I think they wanted him gone last year very clearly. Those were the voices in the front office that were against Tom Thibodeau. And I think Leon made the call that like, hey, look, we're gonna try. We're gonna give him another shot. We're gonna give him another chance. And we heard all the sweet nothings that Tibbs whispered at the end of last year. Oh, I should have played Obi and quickly more. Oh, I realize the mistakes I have made. Like, I get it. I'm going to be a new man this year. And I'm telling you, he's not. We, are, I'm already positive of it, just based on the shit that we heard from Berman this week. He's not going to be any different. He's not. He's never going to change. He's always going to be the same asshole. And that asshole can be a damn good coach sometimes, especially at certain points where depending on where your franchise is. But at certain points, he's not, he, he's beyond useful. He, he's no longer useful. You know, like it's whatever. And, and I just think this entire thing, there's a lot of things that could fuck up and explode. Um, and all of it to me stems from the fact that like you've got this fucking trade that you're clearly you're trying to make, right? You're trying to make this trade. Hasn't happened yet. And things are getting leaked, and things are getting leaked. I didn't care about the stuff that was coming out from Utah side because all that stuff is just like, oh, Danny Ainge wants seven thousand picks, and he wants all of the next young young players because why the fuck not? And like that stuff doesn't matter to me. But the stuff that's come out the past week, you know, from Berman and from Begley about like RJ and I, weirdly, actually, quickly was like hasn't been mentioned at all really. Um, so that's why I kind of expect him just. I feel like he's weirdly maybe the safest of all of them. Um, but like Obi and Grimes and like the way they're being talked about almost is like, well, yeah, you'd like to keep them, but if you don't, you know, fuck it. You just throw them in there and get Art Donovan Mitchell. Like, I don't know, man. I think there's a lot of shit going on and I'm not feeling great about it. I'll tell you that. Like I, I, I was, I've been fine and pretty zen about this all until this week, but this week, all this shit that came out from the Knicks side of it, the Knicks beat side of it, um, I think it's concerning. And I'm pretty, pretty worried. So Jordan, I guess that was a very long way of asking you, like, if as a Cavs fan, was this stuff that you experienced firsthand? And like, I don't know, like, is I don't know how that stuff plays out, really, because the Knicks haven't had that going on in a really long time, I don't think. Yeah, so like, I think sometimes like fans overestimate like how complicated trade rumors are, right? Like trade rumors come out of one of six places. One, they're made up, right? Which doesn't happen that frequently, at least like with major media, but like I guess it can happen. Two, they come from like the player side, right? So like if a player wants to get traded, they could leak, hey, like we leak it to some journalists. Three is they come from the coach, which seems like is the case in this case. Like even with the Mark Berman, like if I know and I do not follow the Knicks regularly, that he's Thibs' mouthpiece, and I know that, I think, thanks to you guys, probably more than anybody, but, like, I know that through the Knicks players, right? Way four is through a team's management. Way five is through another team's management. And way six is through the player themselves. And the players on those teams 
know that, right? And it's like, if you're R.J. Barrett, your thought is not robotic. It is not, oh, I mentioned in trade rumors. Should I be worried? Yes, no. It is, oh, I mentioned in trade rumors. Well, who's reporting this? Because if I mentioned in this person's article as a possible trade chip, and I know this person generally gets their sources from fibs or from the management or whatever, like that affects how worried I am. And so like I think with the Cavs, it was a problem, especially for Kyrie in that last season, because Kyrie knew both LeBron and David Griffin were mentioning his names and his name in trade rumors. And so then, I mean, Kyrie's kind of a nut job, but like Kyrie was like, well, fuck this. Like if I'm being mentioned in trade rumors, I just want out. And like, that is an extreme, right? Kevin Love, everybody was saying he was going to get traded. The only person who didn't think he was going to get traded was Kevin Love. And like Kevin Love ended up being right there. But like, I think with a young team and with young players especially, so I always go back to LeBron's first year back in Cleveland when like you had Dion Waiters, right? And from day one of LeBron's return, the two players everybody knew were going to get tra- involved in trade rumors and likely traded were Andrew Wiggins and Deion Waiters. And Andrew Wiggins kind of threw such a shit fit that he got, he was very easily thrown in the Kevin Love deal. Deion Waiters, like, waited six months, right? And he tried to make it work, but, like, Deion Waiters at some point, like, stopped sitting for the national anthem, right? Because he just did not like his teammates. And he was pissed about being mentioned in trade rumors. And, like, I mean, we can talk about my feelings about Donovan Mitchell, which I, I, we can talk about that later, but, like, I think in terms of players like an R.J. Barrett or, like, a Quickly or, like, a Grimes or an Obi, like, Obi to me is a key one because Obi, like, Obi, since he was drafted, everyone knew he should be playing more minutes, and he's just not. And it's, like, Obi's one where I've seen him mentioned a lot, and so I feel like there's probably some smoke there. And if I'm Obi Toppin, I'm not happy about it because I'm, what, 22 years old, something like that? Like, I'm a kid. He's actually I'm 24 now. 24. He, so he's a baby, right? Like, like he's not an old. He's not like an adult vet player. I'm a little like pissed off, and like I don't know if the coach likes me. Um, and if the coach likes me, I don't know how long the coach is going to be there. I certainly don't know if my teammates likely like me, or if they would rather just have this Donovan Mitchell guy instead of me. And so, how am I going to play? And the answer isn't just shitty; it is selfish. And that, to me, was always the concern with, like, LeBron and the Cavs. But the Cavs in general, like, no matter who the GM is, as long as Dan Gilbert and Dan Gilbert's family are owners, every player is going to be mentioned in trade rumors. And you see it very frequently. Like, Colin Sexton's a great example of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been, man, he's been in trade rumors since he got drafted. Yeah, and <laughs> guess what he's been doing since he got drafted? Becoming increasingly selfish when he plays. And, like, it's not... I mean, I'll say this over and over again. I think Colin Sexton's a very good player. I also think Colin Sexton is watching out for Colin Sexton. I think what happened this summer is evidence that he was playing it right the whole time. Because, yes, he had an injury, but, like, literally nobody wanted him this summer. And so, like, if you're Colin Sexton, right, like, this year, you're going to, like, if you play for the Cavs on that qualifying offer, which at this point seems to be very likely, like, Colin Sexton is going to be selfish as can be. Because Consex wants to get paid. And, like, I think if for you guys, beyond, like, what I think, 
I really like Brunson. I really like Donovan Mitchell. But beyond what I feel like is a misfit roster with those two, I think like just like making every other player on that team buy into, hey, we want you to be here, is going to be difficult. Yeah, one one thing I would say about that, um, and I have a follow up question to what you were talking about after this, but I would argue, I, I would say Tibbs's biggest strength as the Knicks coach has been getting buy in. Um, so I agree with your point in a vacuum, but weirdly enough, as someone who's not the biggest fan of Tibbs, that actually doesn't worry me very much. Um, even though I share a lot of Schwinn's overall concerns, whenever the season starts. I, aside from Randall, uh, I, I have very little concern from an effort or from a uh, play style standpoint. Like, Obi is just Obi. And I have a very hard time seeing a world where he starts like, oh, I got to get mine. Like, the biggest compliment I can give to him as a player is that he is just the ultimate connector. And he has been since, from day one. Like he's never tried. He's, he's definitely heard all the noise. Oh, you were the number eight pick. You were supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And he's never let bad shooting affect how he plays. He's never let, um, Oh, Randall's an all-star and I'm only going to see 10 minutes tonight. So I've got to make those 10 minutes count. He gets out there and he just plays his style and it's a very team conducive style. And that's what a lot of Knicks fans especially the ones who watch, you know, game in and game out, love about him so much is the effort is always there and the play style is over there. I, I can't remember five selfish minutes of his entire career um, in two years in. So um, I agree with what you're saying that there could be issues, but uh, I, I just think Tibbs has actually done a really good job of getting the young you don't think You don't think there could be issues with RJ? I think there are. A hundred thousand. RJ is a totally different story. I, I just wanted to about. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I think Obi for sure. I think quickly could do it too. Because if I'm quickly and I'm still here, and you've got look, let's let's say Julius is still here. This nightmare scenario for whatever reason, <laughs> right? Julius is still here. If I'm him, I'm like, I'm never gonna get touches. So anytime I get touches, I am putting up shots. I don't give a fuck about this team. I don't give a fuck about anything else. I am putting up my shots, and I'm getting up my numbers so that when it's time, if I get traded, wherever the fuck it is, I am going to get paid. I think that's 100% on the table. I don't think he was happy last year. I think he he accepted it last year. He did not put up a shit fit, not publicly. We've had some reporting you know, from the wonderful Mark Berman specifically, so maybe take that with a grain of salt. Um, but like... I don't think he wants no no NBA player wants to be nobody's like okay I'm a sixth man and I am happy to forever be a sixth man. There's like one guy in the history of the NBA that did that. That was Manu Ginobili. Okay, like I'm sorry, like expecting you tell a 21 year old, 22 year old kid after two years in the NBA who when he's pro, he's basically outplayed every other guard you've brought in other than Derrick Rose who hasn't even been fucking healthy 90 percent of the time. Okay. You t- I mean, forget guard. Quick, quick, quickly. Besides, Rose has been the Knicks' most valuable player the last two seasons. Like, or overall, if he like, I know Randall was obviously their best player in 2020-21, but there's a very sound argument that quickly has been better than RJ. You know, as valuable as Mitch went on the court from a per minute standpoint. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. But no, yeah. and I, I 100% agree. And I think if you're him, you're like, look, 
I'm fine. I, I had to pay my dues my rookie year. I get my second year. Okay, you tried to improve the roster, and I had to buy in, and I came off the bench again, and okay, fine. I can do that. I did that. I, I, I gave you all that, and I, I was a good soldier. I put in the work. I'm an awesome dude behind the scenes. I work my ass off. I do all these things. I got better at the things you wanted me to get better at, right? As a passer, as a distributor, I showed you I am improving constantly, and I did it without bristling in public or privately to an I mean, if it was so bad privately, it would have come out publicly. So even if he was pissed behind the scenes, it never got out, okay? So he's been a good soldier. He's been a good pro. Now you go out and you sign Jalen Brunson. Fine. I get it. You'd want a starting point guard? Fine. You go and get Jalen Brunson. I don't have a problem with that. Now you're going to trade for Donovan Mitchell. Okay, I still don't have a problem with that because I'm good buddies with Donovan Mitchell. Right, me quickly and do and Donovan Mitchell are good buddies, which is also a big reason why I think he's not going to go in any trade. Um, why is Derrick Rose still here? A- anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Why the fuck is Derrick Rose still on this roster? And because you know, because very quickly you know this: if Derrick Rose is on this roster, your head coach will play him at least twenty minutes a night, and he will play him a point guard, and you will not get point guard minutes. That's a fact. If the roster is as it is, even if the, like even if Donovan Mitchell doesn't come to New York, right? If the roster is at full strength, quickly will play every game, but he will not get point guard. He will not get point guard reps. He won't. We know this. Like we fucking know this. And this is why, like this, like, it, and and this is where I think it has it comes back to management because we can sit here and talk about Tibbs all day, right? But the front office of this team, I. I'm still patient with them. They still got, what, like a a month, basically, until training camp starts? So you got four weeks. It's still the offseason, okay? I think they've done a good job. I, I liked bringing in Brunson. I liked bringing in Hartenstein. The draft day trade was a little confusing, but once we finally figured out the pieces, I was like, okay, I am good with that. They have to get rid of some of these players. They have to. They absolutely have to. Derrick Rose cannot be here. There is no reason for Derrick Rose to still be on this fucking roster. There is not. The only reason I am not having a complete meltdown over this is because his salary is useful in a potential Donovan Mitchell trade. I get that. So maybe that's what you're holding on to him for, and maybe he goes out before the season starts, whatever. Okay? Fine with that. Evan Fournier needs to go. I like him. I think he's fine. I think much too much has been made of his contract and his deficiencies as a player. The guy can shoot the shit out of the ball. Every metric you go by, be it very basic in just terms of three-point percentage and or advanced stuff where you look at the quality of the threes and difficulty and all that. He is a great three-point shooter. One of the best in the NBA. That's not hyperbole. Okay? They still need to move him. I don't care. Because you have to free up time for your young guys on this fucking team. You have to do it. Okay? Evan Fournier is fine. Evan Fournier really doesn't move the needle that much. One way or the other. Does he help you win some games? Sure. He'll help you win some games. He'll help you lose some games because his defense is that bad. So somewhere in between, he's fine. He's a useful rotation player. The world isn't going to end if you move Evan Fournier. Okay? You, You guys have to go. They have to go. Um... And I'll say this, like, I understand the difficulty of trading Julius Randle, 
you chose to bring back Tom Thibodeau as that coach, if Julius Randle is still here, and especially if Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier are still here, I don't care about the good things the front office did. This offseason has to be considered a failure. It has to be. Because the team has too many fucking players. You have to get rid of some of these guys. It doesn't. You can sit there and Brock Oller and, oh, we got to maximize the trade. Sometimes you just got to get rid of guys. I'm sorry. You're not going to get the best trade value that you think you deserve for each of these fucking dudes. But, like, you gave a protected first for Cam Reddish. Berman talked about it today on Lockdown Knicks, so I'm presuming that he, he mentioned that people in the org are still very high on Cam Reddish. I was, and you said Tibbs is not, which, wow, thanks, Mark. We fucking knew that. Um, but, like, I'm assuming that Tibbs is telling him there are people in the org that want to see Cam get minutes. Right? Okay. So create minutes for him. Like this is like you can't you can't have everything you want exactly how you want it. Sometimes you just gotta bite the bullet and move on. Okay? Like if that might if that means you dump, you know, fucking Derek Rose for a second round pick and some bullshit, fine. If that means you have to give Evan Fournier away, like whatever it is. Or maybe you send them out on Donovan Mitchell trades, whatever the fact is, like these things have to be addressed, and I still think bringing back Julius Randle with the decision to also bring back Tom Thibodeau as that coach is one that is a massive error. I think it's a massive, massive error. I can't stress that anymore. You have to, you have to get rid of one. It's not going to be Thibodeau. They have a month to move Randle. The market is dwindling. I am concerned. And I think the front office is firmly on the clock. And I think if we are still sitting here with Derek Rose and Evan Fournier and Julius Randle on the roster, come, um, you know, training camp rolling around, I, I'm very worried. I'm very worried. There are a lot of guys in this team, younger guys in this team especially, that are nearing paydays. It's all well and good to expect them to buy in and be good teammates and, you know, fucking slap everybody's ass on the way back to the bench. Oh, well, good to expect that the first couple years in the league. But RJ, he's time for his payday. He's playing for a contract. Cam Reddish, he's looking to get a contract. Quickly and Obi are playing potentially for extensions. You know, like, it's time. Like, he's got, hell, even Deuce McBride. I mean, we haven't even talked about him, and I, for notable reasons, but, like, he's only got a three-year contract. This is his second year. He's basically, like, on the doorstep of, you know what I mean? Like, like this stuff happens pretty fast in the NBA. If you are putting these guys in a position where, like, not only is it unclear that they how much time they'll get, but they are also being coached by the same person that spent the last two years basically preferring shittier vets over them in large and in, in many in many points where it was undeserved. Like, I start feeling a type of way. Uh, I, I don't know. I I just. Maybe I'm worrying about nothing, but like I can't say the last week or so my my concern level hasn't gone up because like you gotta figure some of the shit out and it just doesn't feel like they have figured a lot of the shit out. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. 
You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You also just shined a light on something that I think doesn't get enough um, uh, attention when you talk about trades like this. Because, you know, you brought up how uh, Brock and the front office, they don't like losing trades, right? So, you know, you, you think about trading Fournier and you tra- think about trading Rose. And in Brock's mind, he's like, well, I don't want to take 90 cents on the dollar. I want to win this trade. Um, and I think that something that doesn't get talked about a lot is if Rose and Fournier were to get traded for 90 cents on the dollar, that you can't only view the trade through the lens of the return they got. Because a part of the return you get when you trade Fournier or when you trade Rose is a better chance at the young guys who are now going to play more hitting their potential ceilings. And there's value there when you're comparing them to known products in Rose and Fournier. So quickly might not be per minute on the court as valuable as Rose is right now, or as good a backup point guard. But if quickly goes from playing all of his minutes next to Rose to all of his minutes as the backup point guard, and then potentially, you know, sharing the court with Brunson or sharing the court with Mitchell some when he gets here, and all of a sudden his role expands, that changes his trajectory entirely. If Cam Reddish goes from DNPs to backup wing because Evan Fournier is gone, Okay, yeah, maybe he's not as good right now this second as Evan Fournier, but the drop off isn't big enough to not to to negate the potential ceiling that you're unlocking in a Cam Reddish in a Quentin Grimes. I'm not even that high on Cam Reddish, but the drop off just isn't big enough from Fournier to Cam right now to say, well, you know, we're losing a lot this second, so we can't even try, like, we don't even want to bother figuring out what the Cam Reddish ceiling is. Like, there's, with these young guys, there's a certain, you know, ceiling that you can unlock that just doesn't get talked about when you you discuss dealing these known products in Rose and Fournier. Um, And I think that's another reason they just have to do it. Like, you can't just, as you said, with these guys approaching contract years, You can't just have them in these minimal roles because Tibbs likes his guys in certain rigid roles. You have to let them blossom and see what they can become because this team isn't winning a title. So this team's best path forward is getting the most it can from its young players. And to your point, it can't do that if all these veterans who Tibbs is clearly going to play over them and clearly going to play in their roles are still on the roster. Um, And this leads me to the question I was going to ask Jordan uh, a bit earlier. We talked about the Cavs and we talked about, you know, when they had LeBron, all of these, you know, all of these trade rumors, everyone constantly is hearing their name involved in rumors and yada, yada. And it's just LeBron is always, you know, it's LeBron. 
But do you think that having a guy like LeBron, in, in a way, sort of, um, it creates or it forces chemistry or forces the players to kind of, I, I don't want to say ignore the rumors, but just like, oh, like I'm playing with LeBron, you know, like, and it's just sort of like, either they know that comes with the program or just in an almost irrational way, they just are so excited to be playing with LeBron that it sort of just forces chemistry in a way that like the Knicks of this year, they don't have a LeBron. So like quickly, as Schwinn was saying earlier, if quickly, you know, doesn't see an increase in role, it's kind of reasonable for him to just be like, shit, man, I need to get mine. And like, what's like, when am I going to start getting mine? But if you're playing with LeBron, if Emmanuel Quigley was playing with LeBron, even if you heard his name in trade rumors, every day he's on the Cavs, he's not going to stew and he's not going to say, oh, I need my role because it's LeBron's team and that's known. So do you think there's something there or am I kind of seeing too much there? Yeah, I mean, so I think LeBron is this weird figure and it's been this way everywhere he's been. Like everybody's like, I don't know, like Pat Riley told LeBron, like this team was the Heat and LeBron's going to sell on bullshit. Like, the the Heat played Birdman serious fucking minutes, like when he was not that good of a player anymore, because LeBron wanted him to play minutes. So like LeBron comes in, he's the center of gravity, and that means all of a sudden everybody in the organization's job. And I think this is where it's a little bit different for the Knicks. But like when LeBron's there, everybody in the organization's job is to win a title. Every single person, coach, general manager, to the fifteenth player on the bench or on, on the team, right? Like their job is to win a title, period. There's no other job, and it's not long-term. It is to win a title that year. And, like, we've seen that a lot, especially recently, like, with the Lakers, right? Like, sometimes you just, you you can't do it, and then people lose their jobs. But, like, LeBron's there, and you just know that is going to be the case. I think with the Knicks right now, what's a little bit different is... It's also worth it. Like if you have yeah. like it, it's it's like okay, we have LeBron. So you're kind of like no matter who you are in the NBA, you're kind of like okay, I. Look, Kevin Love's talked about this, right? Where he's like, it's like yeah, look, I had to make sacrifices, and you know he's talked about like it's not easy, you know, not just the how you adjust on the court, but like the stuff that you have to deal with. Um, it's not easy, but he was like, it's worth it because guess what? You'll probably win a championship. Like if you spend enough time with LeBron, you'll probably win a championship. So it's worth it. Uh, Yeah, and, like, the other thing about LeBron is, like, all of LeBron's guys, and, like, you guys know this, right, like, because of your coaches, right? If you are LeBron's guy, whether that's coach in management or a teammate, he will go to bat for you. Like, to, to sometimes to, like, a weird degree, but, like, he will. And, like, I think Kevin Love, after that first year, became one of LeBron's guys. And LeBron ever since, like, the one I always love is Chetty Osmond. Right, like Chetty Osman, LeBron leaves, but he posts a picture of him, Chetty, Kevin Durant, and I forgot who else, but like in a few of the other like big names, like all practicing together. And I was like, ah, LeBron loves Chetty Osman, so you're the cast, what are you going to do? Oh, well, uh, Chetty, you're just going to replace LeBron because, you know, LeBron said you're the next big thing. So we're going to, and that's like what happens if you're LeBron's guy, right? You, the Chetty Osman treatment. Um, and that, like every player, and like Kevin Love learned that. I think with like, the Knicks, right, where it is different, is like, right, what is their job this year? Right? If your Thibs a job, like, your Thibs, you're hired for a reason, it's to win games in the short term. That's Bidden Thibs' job more or less his entire career, even when he was a coordinator. 
Um, if you are like Brock Holler, right? What's your job? Um, and that's where the question arises, right? Like, is your job to help build this team for the long term? Because if that's your job, then having Thibs and the coaching position makes zero sense, right? So my gut, just from reading the tea leaves, is if Thibs is still there, and you've seen Thibs now for two years, like, you know what he's good at, right? Like, Jeff, as you said, like, I think buy-in, that's a fair point. I had not thought of that, but I think that's a fair point. Like, Thibs teams usually more or less buy into what he says. Um, like, Alfred Payton's a great example. He's a terrible player, but, like, Alfred Payton did what Thibs wanted, whatever bullshit that was. Like, he went out there and he did it. Um, but, like, when you have that as your coach, right, you also know that, like, Thibs is not there to develop young players. That, that could be a side effect, right? But that's not his primary job. And I would be, like, hard-pressed to think that the management end of the Knicks is trying to build a long-term product with Thibs' coach. And so that raises a problem, because what that means is everybody from management down to the coaching staff is trying to win now when pretty much anybody with a brain, probably even people in Knicks management realize this team we have, absent adding, like, finding a way to add, like, one of the five players in the NBA that if you have on your team, you could win the title, right? And, like, I like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is not, never will be that guy. Like, Donovan Mitchell is a great 1B, but Donovan Mitchell is never going to be the guy that if you have, you have a shot at winning a title every year. If he's your number one option, right? Like, the people in Knicks management know that, right? Like, there's no way the three of us know that. And people who have this as their job are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, if we get Donovan Mitchell with him, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, hell, we can make a run of the title. Like, nobody's thinking that. But what they're thinking is we have to win. Like, our directive is to win this year. And if Fibs tells us R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, like, these guys are good, like Cam Reddish, right? Like, Fibs probably doesn't hate Cam Reddish. Fibs also probably is telling his team, like, or his management, if I play Cam Reddish, minutes for him to develop, we will not win. And the management, who's, again, their job, like Bibbs is doing now, is probably going to say, okay. And so it creates, like, this moral hazard, right, where the incentive is to not do what is best for the team. Because that's what your job is. And, like, that has been a problem with the Cavs. It's been a problem with the Lakers recently, right? Like, that is a very common problem. The Sixers are another great example of like when that has been a problem. And it just kind of happens. And I think like every sport, we always talk about unified front office and coaching staff. But I think like that's two thirds of the puzzle. To me, ownership is always a big one, right? Like is ownership telling the front office we need to win now? Because if they are doing that, that affects the plausibility of outcomes in a given season. And, like, I think for you guys, like, I like Donovan Mitchell. I think I don't trust Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson as, like, a starting two in a title team. But I think if you have those two as, like, a starting backcourt, like, it takes some pretty bad roster building to not have a playoff team.